listening to the Grace City Church podcast. Make sure to check us out online at gracecityvegas.com. Also, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Grace City Vegas. Well, good morning, everyone. Hope you all are doing well. Uh, as we were in worship, I was just thinking of, uh, you know, oftentimes we, I don't know about you, but I have an agenda, I have a idea of what I want the day to look like, my week, my month. I know some of you aren't that planned out, my year, this next decade, and uh, I, I have thoughts on all of those things, and those, that's, a real, that's a real thing. Um, and so oftentimes, I struggle with the uh, thought of lingering in a moment. And what we saw in, in worship, there was this lingering in God's presence, right? It's not that worship ended and he left, but in this time of worship, in this act of praising him, just staying there, staying in this moment. You know, of course, we have things, we have announcements, we have the message, we have all this stuff, everyone has lunch, we have plans, right? I, I got it. But it's that moment of like, oh, this is the place that I want to be, and I don't want to be anywhere else. I don't want to move out of this moment. And you just linger in the presence of the Lord. It's just so good. I'm, I'm thankful that we have that freedom here to do that, um, even singing over and over again those, uh, those lyrics and just worshiping the Lord and just that all hail King Jesus and we're just praising him, we're praising him, telling him he's holy. Um, you, you guys have to get your mind wrapped around that because um, you're going to be disappointed when we get to heaven if you think there's going to be a, a quick agenda and you're going to go out to lunch often <laughs> or something. Uh, but it's this idea of lingering in the presence of the Lord. And uh, anyways, I'm just really thankful for that. So my name is Michael. I'm the pastor here. If you're new, welcome. Uh, if you're joining us online for the first time, be sure to drop a comment in there. Let us know that it's your first time. Also, if you have a prayer request, you can put that in there too. We'd love to pray for you. We have been in this series, Stories, for a couple weeks now, five weeks, I think. And uh, we're going to kind of shift it a little bit. We're going to stay in stories. And, and leading into Easter, we're going to talk about Jesus and stories of Jesus specifically. And before we get into that in the next four weeks, I just wanted to take uh, this time this week to kind of set the stage for us uh, of, of, of this heart posture and this attitude. We'd, we'd, we'd shift our minds from the things that we've become numb to and, and begin to rekindle this fire and this uh, love that the Lord has for us and that we have for him. And I wanted to do that by going through uh, a, a story, a verse um, that is very well known to everyone, maybe 85% of the world. Atheists know this scripture, can quote it. Uh, it is very much the, the verse that you learn if you went to like a Christian school in like first grade and your whole class says it and sits down, right? And um, can anybody guess what the, the verse is? John 3.16, that's right. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. This is, that is the right response. Absolutely. This verse, and there's so much there. And oftentimes as Christians, you hear sermons often. We have scheduled sermons around, you know, uh, things in the year of, you know, February is, is where we talk about relationships and marriage. And, you know, the summer is, is down months where people go on vacation aren't here. And so that's like, Maybe a good time to experiment with that one sermon that you wanted to try, and then it's not good, and then you're like, we'll never do that again. The fall is when everyone comes back, and you ramp up, and of course, you know, you have Easter and Christmas, and we schedule very specific stories in the Bible around those. 
See, we love scheduling things more than you realize. It's not just me, right? We love to know what's about to happen, which is fine, except for the fact that we become so accustomed to it that we just become numb to it. We don't see it anymore. You know, it's like uh, if, if you're married, you, you know that if you are not attentive to your spouse, it's very easy to become, uh, get into a rut, take that person for granted, right? And that's when problems happen. We don't want to do that with the Lord either. We want to understand the weight and gravity of these uh, things that are said in Scripture, not just be like, yeah, I know, you know, whatever. John 3, 16, whatever, you know, and it's like, whatever. I know, I know that. I learned that. I learned that back in kindergarten. I got it. But there's such a weight to this. I was telling somebody that I, as I was going through this and writing this sermon, usually it takes me a day. Like I know what I'm going to write about, and then I spend Wednesday and I write my sermon, and then Saturday I go over it, clean it up so I don't get lost in all my thousands of notes on there, and we're not here till two thirty. This week I took me Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, and Saturday. And there's just so much in here, and I don't want it just to be commonplace to us. So I'm wanting us to dive into this, and, and I don't know that I'm going to tell you anything new that you maybe haven't heard, but I'm, my prayer is, is that as we dive into the scripture that the Lord would reveal, there would be revelation of this in depth to your heart and mind, that you would walk out with this understanding of God's love for you and, and more than you did walking in. So as we begin to tell these stories in the coming weeks, that you would have this foundation, this rekindling of that back in your heart. And that the, these stories would mean even more to you and in a different way. That's, that's my prayer for you guys, for all of us. Um, so, have you ever noticed in the world, the world loves to copy you because you're such a trendsetter. As you do something new, everybody is going to start doing it. Have you noticed that? Okay, maybe not. That's a bit narcissistic. But you start going to the gym, right? You're like, I'm going to go to the gym. Not because of anybody or anything. You're just like, I just need to do that. And I've waited till March because, you know what, I don't like that whole January thing that everybody does, so I've waited till March. Now I'm going to do it. You go to the gym, but then you start noticing on Facebook or Instagram, everybody's starting to go to the gym now. Man, I'm such a trendsetter. Everyone's just following me, right? Or maybe you begin to do a new hobby or something, and then all of a sudden everybody's doing that as well. Okay, we understand that we're not those kind of influencers and trendsetters, right? Um, it's just cringy if you feel that you are. But... What is it? Because there is this truth of like you start doing something and then like everybody's doing this thing. Well, here's the truth is that they were already doing that. You just now noticed that everybody's doing it because it's put in front of you. It's like um, if you get a new car. When we were in Colorado, uh, I'm pretty sure 95 percent of Colorado drives a Subaru. And that's real. I mean, like that number is exaggerated, but it's close. It's probably 65% of Colorado drives a Subaru, and that's probably an honest statistic. In Steamboat, almost everybody drove one. If you didn't, it was like you drove some vintage vehicle or something, some old pickup truck, and everyone's like, all right, that's cool too. We got a Jeep, and I was like, man, I was like, we are going to be the trendsetters here because nobody drives a Jeep. But then I started noticing Jeeps everywhere, and I'm like, what was it, like a sale on Jeeps? Because I don't think that everyone's just copying off of me. Like, there must have been some big, huge sale at the Jeep dealership or something because I never did. Well, it's because now I'm driving a Jeep, and you notice, right? You're driving. You see somebody in, in the same car as you, and you're like, like you're part of some secret club. You don't even know them. You know, you're like, what's up? Yeah, that's right. You were the same pe- you know, person. 
It's this thing, it's this phenomenon called the Bader-Meinhof phenomenon. It's a frequency bias. You notice something new, or at least it's new to you, and it could be anything. It could be a word that you notice that people are saying or that you begin to say or whatever. It's this new thing to you. It's a, a new breed of dog. It's a car. It's something, style of house. But suddenly you're aware of this thing. Now, when it comes to Scripture, when it comes to God's Word, we know that God's Word is living. It's alive. And the, the verse that you read two years ago becomes something different to you today or even next week, right? Because it's alive. It's living. And this is revelation. This is no other uh, psychological phenomenon. This is uh, God in his revelation giving us this understanding of Scripture because it's alive and living, right? What I want for us is to have that about this Scripture as we read it because this Scripture it holds so much weight to it. There's so much in this. It's the equivalent to the cure for cancer, uh, the solve for famine. And it's even greater than all of that because it has an eternal impact on the world, whether the world realizes it or not. There's so much weight and gravity to this scripture. Now, this holds a lot of implications of what God did in this moment. And knowing this scripture, having it memorized, whether from when you were a kid and you were in private school or you learned about it somewhere or something or you were at a baseball game and somebody had the sign held up and you learned it, this scripture is not going to save you just knowing it. But it's a sign marker and it points in a direction towards salvation as we follow that, is the beginning of this knowledge and information of what God has done. And so I want us to look at four things in this verse. I broke it up into four parts. And I want us to really look at that and the implications of what that means. I told you a couple weeks ago that, you know, God's doing something in my heart and he's beginning to change my heart still. Praise God that your pastor's heart is still changing and he hasn't pretended that he arrived, right? But as the Lord changes my heart in this area of like his love for me, like it's, I told, I think I said it last week. It's like the, the drunk guy at the party is like, man, I love you, man. And I was like, okay, bro. Yeah, I love you too. No, no, you don't get it. I love you, man. Right? That guy, that's what I feel like I am. Because like as the Lord keeps revealing his love for me, I'm like, oh. I'm like, the Lord loves me so much. He loves you too. Yeah, I know. I know. John 3.16, for God to love the Lord. No, 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 no. <laughs> you don't understand, man. He loves you. Yeah, I got it, bro. Let's move on to something else. No, no, you don't get it. And I'm just hanging out there. Like, I can't get past it. So, which means while you're here with me, you can't get past it either because you're listening to me. So, sorry, not sorry. All right, so here we go. So, John 3, 16. The first part of this is, for God so loved. Why is it that God so loved? I mean, he's the creator of the universe. He's God Almighty. He's, he's everything. He's all-powerful, all-knowing. He's every, he can do whatever he wants, yet he so loved. Why? I mean, we think of things in terms of us being at the center and what we want to do. We're selfish by nature, some of us more than others, of course, right? But why would he do that? Because when we think of ourselves in that position, it's like, I don't know that I would have done that. That wouldn't have been my first option or thought. Well, we see this in 1 John 4, 7 and 10, because God is love. Dear friends, let us love one another, because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been fathered by God and knows God. The person who does not love does not know God, because God is love. By this, the love of God is revealed in us that God has sent his one and only Son into the world so that we may live through him. In this is love. 
Not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now, this is hard for us to comprehend, this idea. I know maybe you're an intellect and you're like, yes, I've comprehended it. I know. I know this. I've researched it. Right? I get it. I, I've talked to people like that. and They're like, no, I know. Like, okay, I'm not saying you're stupid or you're ignorant, or you've never heard it. I'm just saying is, is that it's hard for us to fully comprehend this thing. When we start talking about God's love, do you all know what the cosmic web is? It's, it's not any kind of like new age thing. It's, it's in space. All of the known mapped out universe that we can actually see a picture of where we've sent probes out and things to take pictures and map the universe is called the cosmic web. And it's like the shape of a, a square because we have limits of how far we can go, of what we can map and get information back. But it's called the cosmic web. And to try to calculate that and how big that is, it, we can actually get a number and see it on paper, but you can't fathom what that really is. You just know that it's, you know, like, yeah, it's just pretty big. Yeah, uh, yeah, everybody, scientists too. Yep, it's pretty big, it's a lot of, a lot of space happening there, yep. Because it's so large, there's nothing quantifiable to compare it to because it encompasses everything. But when we look at God's love, it's the same thing. It encompasses everything, and it's not quantifiable. Only by your perception of what God has revealed to you can you actually quantify in your own heart and mind of what that means. It's very subjective in where we are in our walk, and yet we know that there's more there. And that's part of our journey with Christ. It's not just that we've learned everything that we need to know. We learned John 3.16 and give me the next theological mystery. But it's this thing that we keep going in with with the Lord. He keeps revealing himself to us more and more and more. And it's like, wow, there's even more. There's even more. And it's not even like I'm close and I'm like, well, I'm at 80%. It's like, I, don't, I can't even fathom how much is here. And that in itself speaks to his love for us. And I know oftentimes it's hard because we compare things to what we know here on earth, whether you had a good relationship with your parents or not, or you know of somebody, or maybe you just saw a movie of somebody who loves somebody well, and you're like, that's all I got. We filter things through what we know, and I'm here to tell you that God's love for you is greater than that. It's more than that, that we can't even calculate that. When we see this scripture in 1 John, it talks about knowing God, because if we do not uh, love, then we do not know God. It's important for us to reflect on these things of when scripture says this, you know, this is really hard for us to, because you're like, no, I know God. Well, how well do we love one another? It's a good indication of how much you know God. You know, when you, uh, I shared this morning in morning prayer, you know, when it comes to, like, forgiveness, some of us are more forgiving than others. Some of us hold on to unforgiveness because we have this justice thing, and that person needs to, like, you know, be crippled before, you know, like, you can let go of it because they got theirs, right? You hold this thing in your heart, and you won't let go. And some of us are avoidant. There was times where I held grudges about things and unforgiveness for decades, and I didn't even realize it because I was just avoidant of it. I was like, yeah, whatever. I never dealt with it. And later that thing came up or something similar reminded me of that, and I was like mad out of the hurt that I still had. I'm like, oh, I've, I've not forgiven that person. That's not good. I've been carrying this around for two decades. Wow. 
But when we talk about forgiveness, you know, the Bible is very clear with us that we have been forgiven of so much. Therefore, we have to forgive. You don't have a choice. Well, if you feel like it, you forgive. No, you have to forgive. And when we do not forgive and we hold on to unforgiveness and we hold someone's feet to the fire and something and we're like, no, something really bad has to happen. They have to know. They have to know how horrible of a person they are. We lack the understanding of God's perspective of forgiveness. And more importantly, we lack the weight and gravity of the forgiveness that we've been given. The more that you understand the forgiveness that you've been given, the more willing you are to give somebody else forgiveness. When you see like two people, and like no testimony is greater than another, all testimonies are the same because Jesus is involved in it and therefore they're equal. But when you see somebody who's been forgiven, they know they've been forgiven of a lot. They're a murderer, a drug dealer, they spent time in prison, they did all this stuff and they know where they were headed and then yet God's mercy and grace saved them. There is this thankfulness, this thankful heart because they know what they've been saved from. I know what I've been saved from. And so there's a weight there with that, that if I have unforgiveness, it doesn't last long because the Lord brings me back to that, and I'm like, ooh. But somebody who doesn't understand the weight of that because they've been pretty good, they haven't done a lot, uh, you know, things bad in life, you know, they grew up in church and stuff like that, they, they, it, there's this lack of understanding, or there can be, of the weight of the forgiveness that they've received. And therefore, it's harder to give forgiveness out. We see this in all attributes and things that God tells us to do and how to live. If you're lacking in those areas, then you have to go back and say, how well do I understand God's perspective of this towards me? It's always a good place to, if you see that in your life, go back to that. Go back to that foundation part. So, for God so loved the world. Well, here we see that this is the object of his love, is the world. Us. You and I. Right? We are the object of his love. He loves you and I, and it doesn't matter who you are. God loves you. Black, white, Hispanic, poor, rich. Doesn't matter what you've done, where you've been. He loves you fully and completely. A lot of people have a hard time with that, especially when you look at people in the world. There, there's, there's people that, uh, you know, feel like that may be not true for a certain group of people. That may not be true for somebody who's done a a certain things, you know, things that we would judge in the world of like, okay, he was a thief, but uh, this guy was a pedophile. Oof, we forgive him, but this guy needs to go die in a fire, right? There's these levels in our mind of these things of, oh, this person, you know, committed mass genocide in this, you know, tribe over here in nowhere, Africa that you don't even know about, right? That guy, that guy needs to die. But God loves, his love is there for everyone, as we see. And his love is for the world. You and I, it doesn't matter where you come from or what you have done. You're the object of his love. And we see this in Jeremiah 31.3. I love, I love this scripture so much. In a far off land, the Lord will manifest himself to them. He's talking about Israel. He will say to them, I have loved you with an everlasting love. That is why I've continued to be faithful to you with an everlasting love. Now, this is part of the rabbit hole that I went down with with the Lord that was took me so long and I had to backtrack because we have a time limit this morning and so you're welcome for that. But as we think about this and this everlasting love, we always for me at least, I would think of this like subconsciously as the point that I got saved and for all of eternity. 
from this point right here, my understanding and knowledge of the Lord, all of eternity. For a long time, I viewed it that way. But this is not what this is saying here. Uh, Spurgeon says this, it is not, I have pitied thee, nor I have thought about thee, but I have loved thee. God is in love with you. And it is rooted here in this phrase of this everlasting love. God's great message to Israel, and this is also to us as well, this assurance of his love is anchored in eternity's past. This is not something we can fully wrap our head around, right? Because everything that we know of besides God has a start date and an end date, right? Or these nice containers of time that God is not in. This is for us. Time is for us so we understand things better. God is not bound by time. When we talk about, you know, God, well, who created God? Well, he's always been and always will be. He was here from forever this way and forever this way. Because our, our thinking is linear, but his is not. So when he said, I have loved you with an everlasting love, it's not just from this point into eternity. I mean, it is that, but it was anchored in eternity's past, before everything, before you existed, before Gethsemane, before Bethlehem, before the Garden of Eden, before Genesis 1-1, forever ago. His everlasting love is anchored in eternity's past for you. I, I just, I sat there, I was just thinking, this. I wrote this down and I just sat there and I was like, I'm, I'm at the end of my intellect to be able to comprehend this. You know, like you just think about it and you're like, your mind's like, whoop. you're like, okay, that's it. I'm done for the day. I can do no good to anybody at this point. We have to try to understand this a little bit to realize the vastness of his love and that it is aimed at you. Next, we see the sacrifice of, of God's love. So for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Now, this part is the part that we speed bump over that we feel like we know pretty well, right? Because we, you know, if you've sat through an Easter service anywhere, you probably know, right? Uh, if you've heard the story of Jesus and what he did for you on the cross, you, you probably know this part. But this is, there's more here than just this. And when we look at this, we look at the sacrifice of God's love. What, you know, what is that? Well, of course, it's Jesus Christ dying for the sins of the world. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Well, we know, we know this, and you've, you've probably heard this scripture before. But Jesus paid the price for us by dying on the cross, and he became fully human, and he was fully God. And in that, we call that incarnation. Jesus, uh, the word becoming flesh. We see that as the, the incarnation of Jesus. And I know that's probably not a word that you use, but it, we see that in John 1.14. But here is the incarnation of Jesus was this addition to who he was in nature. Jesus was fully human and fully God. He had human nature and he had divine nature. So when we talk about the sacrifice of Jesus, of course there was the, you know, the betrayal of Judas that he had to walk through. There's the physical pain of the torture from the Romans, the the crucifixion itself, what, it was horrible. 
So there was this physical pain that he walked through. There was this mental anguish that he walked through, emotional. There was stress. We see an angel coming and ministering to him. We see him sweating blood, right? That's a, that's a real medical condition, and it's induced by a massive amount of stress. So we see Jesus walking through all this, and of course, that is amazing in itself that he would walk through that, knowing that he was going to be tortured and die, right? But somehow in our minds, we kind of rationalize that a little bit. We kind of take the edge off of that because he's God, and he knew that he was going to resurrect three days later, right? We may not say that because it sounds like, well, that's where you stand. But there's this kind of like this thing of like, well, he knew he was going to resurrect, and he's God, so, you know small price to pay in that time for saving the world. And that's not true. It, it, was, it was a lot to pay. And it was, very, it was very heavy in nature of what he did. But the part that I want to add to that, and this is important that we understand this, is that the eternal God now united forever with humanity. Jesus wasn't only the visible image of the invisible God. We see this in Colossians 1.15. But he is, is forever linked to that and that. John says his opening chapter about the coming of the word, like I said in, in John 1.14, that he became flesh. And this is this mystery of godliness. This is some translations say this, that Paul talks about in 1 Timothy 3.16, where he states that Jesus was revealed or manifested in flesh and later taken up into glory. So in the incarnation, the eternal son who's always possessed the divine nature, he's always had that because he's been God. He's like now, he's always had that divine nature, has not changed or set aside his Godhead or deity of who he is. Instead, he's added to himself this second nature, namely human nature, consisting of a human body and soul. Why is this a big deal? Well, it's in the very thing that I said, and it's really hard for us to wrap our heads around, especially if you've been in church for any amount of time. Philippians 2, 6 through 8 says, Who being in, in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You've heard this scripture before, right? But the God of the universe who created everything, who had this divine nature, humbled himself and came down from heaven and took on this human nature and wore it perfectly, perfectly, to redeem us, to ha give us salvation so that there would be a way uh, for us to get into heaven. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit never change because we see this in Scripture. He's never changing who they are, right? They're not going to sin. They're holy. They're not going to lie, right? They're still love. They're never going to not be love. But Jesus, through his incarnation, took on another nature and added to who he is. So it's like this. Jesus took on humanity when the invisible God became visible representation for us. He wore humanity perfectly. He lived a perfect holy life, doing and accomplishing the things that we could not. So as the Son incarnate, remember, I know this is words we don't usually use, but Jesus in his life, death, and resurrection reversed the work of the first Adam and forges ahead as the last Adam. And he's our great trailblazer and champion. We see this in Hebrews 2.10. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. So as a result of him coming to earth and being flesh, God the Son becomes perfectly qualified to meet our every need, 
especially our need for the forgiveness of our sin. This is Hebrews 7, 23 and 25. Now there have been many of those priests since death prevented from the continuing in office, but because Jesus lives forever, forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he's able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. The sacrifice was not only what he walked out on earth that we see, uh, the, the pain physically, emotionally, mentally, all of those things that we talked about, but he added to his very nature of who he is, taking on something lesser, this humanity of like a servant, humbling himself so that there could be a, a way made for us. This is like a king putting on some old rags that were found in a dumpster that are dirty and nasty and soiled and wearing them, but then perfecting them and making them holy and righteous. Him coming to earth and putting on this human nature, doing the thing that we couldn't do, humbling himself to do that. This sacrifice is huge. And why is it important that we understand that? Because it speaks to that love. It, it qualifies that love. You can say that you love somebody all that you want, but in demonstrating that love, you see it walked out, and that's where it holds the gravity and weight to it, where you should find yourself in and just being like, yeah, I know, I've heard this before, but man, I just can't get past it. This is, you just hang out there, and you linger in it. You just hang out there, and you're like, I just, wow. The more that we understand these things about God, the more that we linger in that, the more revelation we get of that, the easier it is to deal with one another. The easier it is to walk through trials and tribulations. I don't walk through a difficult time and I remember Paul's words and I'm like, well, we should be thankful for trials because of joy and character and brings hope and all these things. I don't read that and I'm like, yeah, I get it. I could have wrote that. That's how I feel. That's like my mantra. That's what I live by. I don't do that. But because I press into the Lord and I know him more of who he is and I understand his love for me, then I'm able to walk in that. I'm like, oh, I can walk through this trial. I can walk through this difficult time because I understand his love more than I did yesterday. And that's what gets me through that. Understanding what he says about me and who I am brings clarity to other things. If you're ever confused about something and you don't know what God's saying or doing, just you come back to that original place and be like, Lord, I just need to understand your love for me more. Lord, would you reveal your love for me more? Would you give me revelation in this? I need to understand this more. And from that, you're able to love God and you're able to walk that out, but you're able to love others as well. If you think you want to just jump into like loving others, good luck. Because people are awful, including myself and you. So we're all in good company, right? Our nature and who we are is awful. But in through that learning of that love of God and then therefore the forgiveness, grace, mercy, his patience, his long-suffering with us, like what we heard that he's here with us, right? Walking through everything that we're walking through. You understand that more, you're able to do that with others who may be taking advantage or making a big deal out of something or have an ulterior motive or whatever. I can be long-suffering, I can love, I can forgive, I can give them grace, I can give them mercy. But it starts in this place of understanding God's love. Okay, the last part of it. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So we see God that's so loved. God is love. So he so loved. The world, you and I, the object of his affection. He gave his one and only son. He made this 
sacrifice for you and I for a specific reason. So we can see the recipient of the gift of God's love, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So what is the gift of God's love? It's the a gift of eternal life with him. It's this relationship with him that starts now. It doesn't start when you die or you go to heaven or whatever, and like then the gift of God will begin. As soon as you're like, yeah, I'm a hot mess and I need Jesus. Jesus, will you help me? The small child, can you help me? I can't do nothing. When you have this moment and you receive salvation, that's when it starts. It's the beginning of that. We see in Romans 6, 23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Just citing references here, so you don't think that I'm just making this stuff up. So who can be this recipient? Yet again, we come back to like how we judge people in their past and things that they've done. We would never say it from stage up here, but in our heart, we kind of feel like there's a, you know, there's probably a select group of people that deserve hell and they shouldn't get heaven. And it's hard to reconcile that when you read scripture, what it says to whosoever, but the whosoever is whosoever. I know you thought I was going to go to a deep theological reference there, but it's whosoever. Anybody believes in Jesus, whoever believes and follows the Lord has this gift available to them. You know, before we come to Jesus, anybody in the world, we're broken and we're in need of a savior and we're awful. No matter if you've like grown up in church and you barely have told white lies to somebody who's committed atrocities that people would condemn openly. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. We were all there before uh, we met Jesus. We needed him. So this is the murderer, the gossip, the cheater, the liar, rich, poor, broken, prideful, anybody, right? We can create a whole list of that will fit into whosoever, but it would be too long for us to continue on. Anyone can be that whosoever. And so it only requires that you confess and you believe that Jesus is the Messiah and he's the only way to heaven. So the four things that we pull out of this scripture that I want you to walk away with is that God's love is abundant. It, there's so much of it for you. I hope that there's revelation there of wanting to explore that more. Because I guarantee you don't know all about it. I don't know all about it either. I'm not, I've, not, I've not gone to the promised land and I'm coming back with all of the information and news that you don't have. I'm just saying is, is that I've been on this journey and I don't know all of it and I'm pretty sure you don't either. It's this constant journey of going back because it, in not knowing God's full love and measure for you and, and keep pursuing that, there's space for the enemy to lie to you. Oh, you've, you, know, you knew better. You're the worst. God's so disappointed in you. He hates you. Right? We hear people say that and, and we know that it's not true and compared to what the Bible says, but we believe it in our heart. How could, you love, how could you love me? You may not say that to anybody, like, face-to-face because you should know better, but I have those thoughts, too. Why well, mess up, or I have, like, the wrong response, like, even internally, you know, on the outside, I have the pastoral response, and I'm, like, you know, with my halo and walking around, ah, but inside, right? That thing that just pops up in your mind that you say, and you're like, oh, I can't believe that was my response, even though I didn't say it. Man, God, how could you love me? I'm so awful. I'm just rotten to my core. 
my flesh is just constantly wanting to rise up and just run towards sin. How can you love me? I know you do, but how is that possible, right? We all have those moments where we're like, we've got to pursue and understand God's love for us more and more and more every single day. It's a great place to start. I know we want to like uncover the mysteries that nobody's talked about yet. And we want to be the first person to put it on Instagram. But they go, yeah, well, what about this? And everyone's like, oh, you're such a genius. How'd you come up with that? Like, I get it. We, we don't want to like rehash things that everybody knows. But we don't know this. I'm telling you, you don't know it. You know it a little bit. I know it a little bit. But you don't know it. And that's part of that adventure with Jesus, that relationship where it's not this rut, it's this thing of like, yeah, I got it, you know, you love me. But it's that just going in and be like, Lord, you love me so much. And I, Lord, would you give me more of a capacity to understand that? I just want to know more of that. Would you just reveal, I just want to walk in this relationship with you, this adventure as we go on these things, and you just reveal these things to me more and more and more. Like, I want to just be so caught up in this relationship with you that I'm just like Enoch, and I just start walking up, and I'm like, and that's it. And that he didn't even die. Just Michael just, he walked off stage, and he just kept going. And we were just like, okay, see you then, bye. That's what I want in my life, but that takes me coming back to these basic principles, these things that I know. Like, Lord, I don't know it. I know it, but I don't know it. I don't know cars. When I look at a Lamborghini, I don't know the amazing things about it under the hood because I don't know that kind of stuff. I know it's expensive. I know it's amazing. I know that it's desired. Somebody starts talking about, oh, yeah, well, it's a 450 block thing, and the, you know, got the thing and the thing going. I'm like, oh, yeah, man, that's cool. I know it's amazing. I just don't understand it. Even more so, God's love is more pronounced than that. Wow, I know it's amazing. I just don't understand all of it. And Lord, I want to. I know I'm not going to understand all of it this side of heaven, but I want to know as much as you want to tell me. Which takes me pressing into the Lord in that relationship with Jesus. We are the object of God's love. You have to know that so many people have been lied to by the enemy. You're worthless. Out of the majority of people that I've prayed for, it comes down to a lot of these lies that they believe of their worth and value. And they believe that they're trash. They're horrible. Nobody could love them. If you only knew, if you only knew, you would hate me too. How could God love me? I'm not like this one or that one who's doing these great things for God. I'm not like doing, I don't have scripture memorized. I'm not, I don't say anything that's like these mysteries of God. I don't add anything of value into the kingdom of God. I volunteer every once in a while. I can't even show up on time. I'm late. You know, like there's lies, lies and lies and lies about your value and who you are. We are the object of God's love. We talked about uh, Hosea and Gomer and this picture of God pursuing Israel with this jealous love. Israel's a hot mess. Gomer was a hot mess as well. Lord, can I be a prophet? Sure, go marry a prostitute. She's going to be unfaithful, and she's going to have kids with other guys, and you have to raise them and pay for her, take care of her debts. Sweet. That's what I was hoping you were going to say. I didn't want any cushy life over here. I wanted something really hard that nobody wants. But it's this picture of Israel. It's this picture of us and our wayward hearts and running, and he pursues us, and he pursues us, and he pursues us because he has this jealous, 
fiery love, and we're the object of his affection. This is great news. Because you can be awful, and so can I. And you can be forgetful, and so can I. And our hearts begin to turn, and we believe the lie that we can get fulfillment over here, or in this, or in our own uh, doing. I'll just make this happen. And he pursues you. He doesn't leave you. He's with you. When you come to that point of recognition of like, why am I doing this? He's like, I'm here. Never left you. I'm with you. I love you. Desperately, I love you. Would you come back to me? Would you repent? Would you turn from that? Would you come back to me? I love you so desperately, I've never left you. Even though you were out and you were giving yourself away spiritually, mentally, emotionally to these other things, I'm here. I'm, I'm waiting for you. We have to understand that we're the object of God's love, the sacrifice of God's love. Jesus, like I said, coming down out of heaven, God, becoming human, taking on these rags of humanity, but wearing them perfectly, being the atonement for sin, everything that he went through for us, is just the uh, exhibiting his love for us, showing what that is. And the last one, the recipient of God's love. Guys, we have to understand this and walk this out in our daily life so we can, we can have something to give somebody else and point them to. If you don't really understand God's love, basically what you're saying when you witness to somebody is like, you know what, you can give up your Sunday and come to church and sing some songs together, and we're going to ask you for an offering, so you're going to have to give up money too, and then eventually we're going to ask you to serve, because if you're not serving, what are you doing with your life? And uh, that would be cool for you too, um, but kind of like you'll still be in the same place that you are, doubting, like, why do I even exist? What's my purpose? Ah, man, I'm worthless. Why? Man, I'm depressed. Wow, what a great sales pitch. Where do I sign up? terrible multi-level marketing scheme. But when we understand God's love, and this is not to make you feel bad about yourself, but this is you have to have this wake-up call of where are you in understanding God's love? Because we want to be the recipient of God's love and receive that gift that he has for us, which we did when we became saved, but we also want to walk in that. I want to be able to share with somebody and be really honest and genuine about it. We had somebody, we had a Thursday night uh, midweek service in there was uh, somebody here that I talked to afterwards, and they were like, this just seems so genuine and amazing. Catholic background, you know, the dogma of things, walking through the, you know, the thing, the incense and the new peace. You know, it's like everything's, you know, like lined out. Wow, there's this genuine, like this relationship of love here that I'm just, I've not seen. And I, wow. Guys, that's what, that's not a, that's not a us pat on the back. That's a, wow, God, I'm so glad that they can see that. Through all of my stuff, <laughs> they can see that, and they can see that in others here. We want to have something that we can give to others that they want, that they see, and they're like, oh, my gosh, I see that. I can, be a, I can be a whosoever. I can receive this gift of God's love, and I want that. I don't want your schedules and your programs, though, because I'm busy already. But we have to understand God's love. We have to understand these things so we have something to give away. All these things, to know these things, is revelation. Thank you, Lord, for your revelation. Thank you, Lord, for giving us insight on that and giving us deeper understanding. But to submit to God's love is salvation. And that's something that we do every single day. Lord, I am submitted to your love, this gift that you're giving. 
your lordship of who you are, Jesus, I'm submitted to this. I'm submitted to you. I'm submitted to your love, this gift, whatever you want from me. Anything in my life, it's yours. Because I'm submitted fully and completely to his love. And there's a difference between that and just walking through the everyday. I'm going to have the band come up. This is what we're going to do. And um, I really, really, really want to pray for you guys. Can I, can I pray for you today? Is that okay? Even my shy introverts who don't want to get out of their seat? Every week we talk about prayer, and I, I don't do that because that's a part of our regularly scheduled program. And then this is the part where Mike says, I will pray for you. I want to pray for you because I really believe God wants to speak to you, heal you, deliver you, give you revelation, encourage you, give you hope, give you peace. I really believe that. With every fiber of my being, I believe that. And I want, I want to give that to you. I want to pray for that for you. I want God to bless you with that. Whatever it is, I want to see you walking out of here different, changed, revelation, healing, whatever it is, I want to see you have that. Not because it comes from me. I just, God has put this deep desire in me to give it to you, not from me, but from him. Lord, what is it that you have for them? You have a word that they need to hear of encouragement? Are they like so secretly depressed and they can't tell anybody because of the position that they hold or people look up to them or they should know and they can't admit to it because they're ashamed? I want to break that off of you and I want to give you hope. I want to give you the truth that God has for you. If you've never made that commitment of salvation, you don't have Jesus and you're like, yeah, this sounds all good and great, but I don't know. I want to pray with you for that. I want you to walk out of here and your eternity is changed. If you need healing, physical, emotional, whatever, I want to pray for you. People in here want to pray for you. There's nothing outside of this moment that's more important than what God wants to give to you today. Even if it's a reminder. We need to hear that truth and I desperately want that for you. So I'm going to be over here like I do after we worship and I stand there and I turn around and I look back just in case I need to make eye contact with somebody because you feel like you need permission to get up like, oh, can I, can I now? I'm going to do that. Gary's here. He's an elder. We have staff here. Rich Fletcher in the back. We have people that will pray for you, with you, whatever you need. Don't leave here without prayer. And I'm not magic, so it's not has anything to do with me but I desperately want to pray for you. Lord, would you soften our hearts in this moment to be willing to step forward and say, I need prayer. I need prayer for this. This is what's going on. Lord, I know you desperately, desperately want to speak to us today. You want to remove the lies. You want to give us your truth. You want to heal us. You want to deliver us. You want us to have salvation. You want us to be different leaving here. Every moment with you changes us. Lord. So Lord, I just pray in this moment, this time, Lord, you would change us. We offer ourselves up to you fully and completely, Lord. We just, we lay our life again down on the altar in front of you. Lord, whatever you want to do. But we desperately want you, Lord, more than anything.